Section 31 of Jataka Tales by H. T. Francis and E. J. Thomas. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Monkey's Heroic Self-Sacrifice Once upon a time when Brahmadatta was reigning in Benares, the Bodhisattva was born as a monkey. When he grew up and attained stature and stoutness, he was strong and vigorous, and lived in the Himalaya with a retinue of eighty thousand monkeys. Near the Ganges' bank there was a mango tree, others say it was a banyan, with branches and forks, having a deep shade and thick leaves like a mountain top. Its sweet fruits of divine fragrance and flavor were as large as water-pots. From one branch the fruits fell on the ground, from one into the Ganges' water, from two into the main trunk of the tree. The Bodhisatta, while eating the fruit with a troop of monkeys, thought, some day danger will come upon us owing to the fruit of this tree falling on the water and so not to leave one fruit on the branch which grew over the water he made them eat or throw down the flowers at their season from the time they were of the size of a chickpea but notwithstanding one ripe fruit unseen by the eighty thousand monkeys hidden by an ant's nest fell into the river and stuck in the net above the king of benares who was bathing for amusement with a net above him and another below. When the king had amused himself all day and was going away in the evening, the fishermen, who were drawing the net, saw the fruit and, not knowing what it was, showed it to the king. The king asked, "'What is this fruit?' "'We do not know, sire.' "'Who will know?' "'The foresters, sire.' He had the foresters called, and, learning from them that it was a mango, he cut it with a knife, and first making the foresters eat of it, he ate of it himself and had some of it given to his seraglio and his ministers. The flavor of the ripe mango remained pervading the king's whole body. Possessed by desire of the flavor, he asked the foresters where that tree stood, and hearing that it was on a river bank in the Himalaya quarter, he had many rafts joined together and sailed upstream by the route shown by the foresters. The exact account of days is not given. In due course they came to the place, and the foresters said to the king, Sire, there is the tree. The king stopped the rafts and went on foot with a great retinue, and having a bed prepared at the foot of the tree, he lay down after eating the mango fruit and enjoying the various excellent flavors. At every side they set a guard and made a fire. When the men had fallen asleep, the Bodhisatta came at midnight with his retinue. Eighty thousand monkeys moving from branch to branch ate the mangoes. The king, waking and seeing the herd of monkeys, roused his men and, calling his archers, said, Surround these monkeys that eat the mangoes, so that they may not escape, and shoot them. Tomorrow we will eat mangoes with monkeys' flesh. The archers obeyed, saying, Very well and surrounding the tree stood with arrows ready. The monkeys, seeing them and fearing death, as they could not escape, came to the Bodhisatta and said, "'Sire, the archers stand round the tree, saying, "'We will shoot those vagrant monkeys. "'What are we to do?' And so stood shivering. The Bodhisatta said, "'Do not fear. "'I will give you life.' And so comforting the herd of monkeys, he ascended a branch that rose up straight, went along another branch that stretched toward the Ganges, and springing from the end of it, he passed a hundred bow-lengths and lighted on a bush on a bank. 
Coming down, he marked the distance, saying, That will be the distance I have come. And cutting a bamboo shoot at the root and stripping it, he said, So much will be fastened to the tree, and so much will stay in the air. And so reckoned the two lengths, forgetting the part fastened on his own waist. Taking the shoot, he fastened one end of it to the tree on the Ganges bank, and the other to his own waist, and then cleared the space of a hundred bow-lengths with the speed of a cloud torn by the wind. From not reckoning the part fastened to his waist, he failed to reach the tree. So, seizing a branch firmly with both hands, he gave signal to the troop of monkeys, "'Go quickly, with good luck, treading on my back along the bamboo shoot!' The eighty thousand monkeys escaped thus, after saluting the Bodhisatta and getting his leave. Devadatta was then a monkey, and among that herd, he said, "'This is a chance for me to see the last of my enemy.' So climbing up a branch, he made a spring and fell on the Bodhisatta's back. The Bodhisatta's heart broke, and great pain came on him. Devadatta, having caused that maddening pain, went away, and the Bodhisatta was alone. The king, being awake, saw all that was done by the monkeys and the Bodhisatta, and he lay down, thinking, This animal, not reckoning his own life, has caused the safety of his troop. When day broke, being pleased with the Bodhisatta, he thought, It is not right to destroy this king of the monkeys. I will bring him down by some means and take care of him. So, turning the raft down the Ganges and building a platform there, he made the Bodhisatta come down gently, and had him clothed with a yellow robe on his back and washed in Ganges water, made him drink sugared water, and had his body cleansed and anointed with oil refined a thousand times. Then he put an oiled skin on a bed, and making him lie there, he set himself on a low seat and spoke the first stanza. You made yourself a bridge for them to pass in safety through. What are you then to them, monkey, and what are they to you? Hearing him, the Bodhisatta instructing the king spoke the other stanzas. Victorious king, I guard the herd. I am their lord and chief, when they were filled with fear of thee and stricken sore with grief. I leapt a hundred times the length of bow outstretched that lies when I had bound a bamboo shoot firmly around my thighs. I reached the tree like thundercloud, sped by the tempest's blast. I lost my strength, but reached a bough, with hands I held it fast. And as I hung, extended there, held fast by shoot and bough, my monkeys passed across my back, and are in safety now. Therefore I fear no pain of death. Bonds do not give me pain. The happiness of those was one o'er whom I used to reign. A parable for thee, O king, if thou the truth wouldst read. The happiness of kingdom and of army and of steed and city must be dear to thee, if thou wouldst rule indeed. The Bodhisatta, thus instructing and teaching the king, died. The king, calling his ministers, gave orders that the monkey king should have obsequies like a king, and he sent to the seraglio, saying, Come to the cemetery as retinue for the monkey king, with red garments and disheveled hair, and torches in your hands. The ministers made a funeral pile with a hundred wagon-loads of timber. 
Having prepared the Bodhisattva's obsequies in a royal manner, they took his skull and came to the king. The king caused a shrine to be built at the Bodhisattva's burial place, torches to be burnt there, and offerings of incense and flowers to be made. He had the skull inlaid with gold and put it in front, raised on a spear point. Honoring it with incense and flowers, he put it at the king's gate when he came to Benares, and having the whole city decked out, he paid honor to it for seven days. Then, taking it as a relic and raising a shrine, he honored it with incense and garlands all his life. And established in the Bodhisattva's teaching, he did alms and other good deeds, and ruling his kingdom righteously, became destined for heaven. THE ADVENTURES OF THE PRINCE AND HIS BROTHER Once upon a time, when Brahmadatta was reigning in Benares, the Bodhisattva was born as the son of his chief queen. When he grew up, he learned all the arts at Takisila and acquired a spell for the understanding of all animals' cries. After listening duly to his teacher, he returned to Benares. His father appointed him viceroy, but though he did so, he became anxious to kill him and would not even see him. A she-jackal with two cubs entered the city at night by a sewer when men were retired to rest. In the Bodhisattva's palace near his bedroom there was a chamber where a single traveler who had taken his shoes off and put them by his feet on the floor was lying down, not yet asleep, on a plank. The jackal cubs were hungry and gave a cry. Their mother said in the speech of jackals, do not make a noise, dears. There is a man in that chamber who has taken his shoes off and laid them on the floor. He is lying on a plank, but is not asleep yet. When he falls asleep, I will take his shoes and give you food. By the power of the spell, the Bodhisatta understood her call, and leaving his bedroom, he opened a window and said, Who is there? I, your majesty, a traveler. Where are your shoes? on the floor. Lift them and hang them up. Hearing this, the jackal was angry with the Bodhisatta. One day she entered the city again by the same way. That day a drunken man went down to drink in a lotus tank. Falling in, he sank and was drowned. He possessed the two garments he was wearing, a thousand pieces in his undergarment and a ring on his finger. The jackal cubs cried out for hunger, and the mother said, be quiet, dears. There is a dead man in this lotus tank. He has such and such property. He is lying dead on the tank stair. I will give you his flesh to eat. The Bodhisatta, hearing her, opened the window and said, Who is in the chamber? One rose and said, I. Go and take the clothes, the thousand pieces, and the ring from the man who is lying dead in yonder lotus tank, and make the body sink so that it cannot rise out of the water. The man did so. The jackal was angry again. The other day you prevented my children eating the shoes. Today you prevent them eating the dead man. Very well. On the third day from this a hostile king will come and encompass the city. Your father will send you to battle. They will cut off your head. I will drink your throat's blood and satisfy my enmity. You make yourself an enemy of mine, and I will see to it. So she cried, abusing the Bodhisatta. Then she took her cubs and went away. On the third day the hostile king came and encompassed the city. The king said to the Bodhisatta, 
Go, dear son, and fight him. O king, I have seen a vision. I cannot go, for I fear I shall lose my life. What is your life or death to me? Go! The great being obeyed. Taking his men, he avoided the gate where the hostile king was posted, and went out by another which he had opened. As he went, the whole city became as it were deserted, for all men went out with him. He encamped in a certain open space and waited. The king thought, My viceroy has emptied the city and fled with all my forces. The enemy is lying all round the city. I am but a dead man. To save his life, he took his chief queen, his family priest, and a single attendant named Parantapa. With them, he fled in disguise by night and entered a wood. Hearing of his flight, the Bodhisatta entered the city, defeated the hostile king in battle, and took the kingdom. His father made a hut of leaves on a river bank and lived there on wild fruits. He and the family priest used to go looking for wild fruits. The servant Parantapa stayed with the queen in the hut. She was with child by the king, but owing to being constantly with Parantapa, she sinned with him. One day she said to him, If the king knows, neither you nor I would live. Kill him. In what way? He makes you carry his sword and bathing dress when he goes to bathe. Take him off his guard at the bathing place, cut off his head and chop his body to pieces with the sword, and then bury him in the ground. He agreed. One day the priest had gone out for wild fruits. He had climbed a tree near the king's bathing place and was gathering the fruit. The king wished to bathe and came to the waterside with Parantapa carrying his sword and bathing dress. As he was going to bathe, Parantapa, meaning to kill him when off his guard, seized him by the neck and raised the sword. The king cried out in fear of death. The priest heard the cry and saw from above that Parantapa was murdering him, but he was in great terror and slipping down from his branch in the tree. He hid in a thicket. Parantapa heard the noise he made as he slipped down, and after killing and burying the king, he thought, "'There was a noise of slipping from a branch thereabouts. Who is there?' But seeing no man, he bathed and went away. Then the priest came out of his hiding-place. Knowing that the king had been cut in pieces and buried in a pit, he bathed in fear of his life. He pretended to be blind when he came back to the hut. Parantapa saw him and asked what had happened to him. He feigned not to know him and said, "'O king, I am come back with my eyes lost. I was standing by an anthill in a wood full of serpents, and the breath of some venomous serpent must have fallen on me.' Parantapa thought the priest was addressing him as king in ignorance, and, to put his mind at rest, he said, "'Brahman, never mind. I will take care of you,' and so comforted him and gave him plenty of wild fruits. From that time it was Parantapa who gathered the fruits. The queen bore a son. As he was growing up, she said to Parantapa one day at early morning when seated comfortably, "'Someone saw you when you were killing the king?' "'No one saw me, but I heard the noise of something slipping from a bough. "'Whether it was man or beast I cannot tell. "'But whenever fear comes on me, it must be from the cause of the boughs creaking.' "'And so in conversation with her he spoke the first stanza. "'Terror and fear fall on me even now. 
for then a man or beast did shake a bough. They thought the priest was asleep, but he was awake and heard their talk. One day, when Parantapa had gone for wild fruits, the priest remembered his Brahmin wife and spoke the second stanza in lamentation. My true wife's home is near at hand. My love will make me pale like Parantapa and thin at quivering of a tree. The queen asked what he was saying. He said, I was only thinking. But one day again he spoke the third stanza. My dear wife's in Benares, her absence wears me now to pallor like Parantapa's at shaking of a bough. Again one day he spoke a fourth stanza. Her black eyes glow, her speech and smiles and thought do bring me now to pallor like Parantapa's at shaking of a bough. In time the young prince grew up and reached the age of sixteen. Then the Brahmin made him take a stick, and going with him to the bathing-place opened his eyes and looked. "'Are you not blind, Brahmin?' said the prince. "'I am not, but by this means I have saved my life. Do you know who is your father?' "'Yes.' "'That man is not your father. Your father was king of Benares. That man is a servant of your house. He sinned with your mother, and in this spot killed and buried your father.' and so saying he pulled up the bones and showed them to him the prince grew very angry and asked what am i to do do to that man what he did to your father here and showing him the whole matter he taught him in a few days how to handle a sword then one day the prince took sword and bathing dress and said father let us go bathe parantapa consented and went with him when he went down into the water, the prince took his topknot in the left hand and the sword in the right, and said, At this spot you took my father by the topknot and killed him as he cried out. Even so will I do to you. Parantapa wailed in fear of death and spoke two stanzas. Surely that sound has come to you and told you what befell. Surely the man who bent the bow has come the tale to tell. The foolish thought that once I had has reached your knowledge now. That day a witness, man or beast, was there and shook the bow. Then the prince spoke the last stanza. "'Twas thus you slew my father with traitorous word untrue. You hid his body in the bows. Now fear has come to you. So saying, he slew him on the spot, buried him, and covered the place with branches. Then, washing the sword and bathing, he went back to the hut of leaves. He told the priest how he had killed Parantapa. He censured his mother, and saying, What shall we do now? The three went back to Benares. The Bodhisatta made the young prince viceroy, and doing charity and other good works, passed fully through the path to heaven. End of section 31